Hello there, you springtime sojourners. It's Chappie, your British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. It's episode 193 today. And happy Friday. Hope you're having a lovely, lovely time. It's the week before the Jubilee celebrations and hopefully getting your bunting up. Now, when where can one get bunting in America? I sort of want to deck out lots of bunting, maybe pop the Union Jack on the top of Chappie Towers here and uh, it'll probably be ripped down and I'll be sent to Ellis Island or something along those lines. Or I might be, uh, I think if I was sent to Ellis Island I'd probably be up with uh, Lady Liberty's lamp. That's how high I'd be up, probably, or maybe perched on one of the spikes on top of her head. If that's what you call it, I don't want to be disrespectful to Lady Liberty if it's not called the spikes on top of her head here. Welcome along to the programme. I feel very zen-like today, so I'm doing the show, as I sometimes do, no socks, no shirt. I imagine if the Dalai Lama did a podcast, he would be dressed very similarly. He'd probably have like a a linen type of trouser on, I suppose. Um, I don't have that quite yet, because I can never get the creases out of linen. I don't know about you, but it's impossible, nigh on impossible, to get the creases out of linen. I had an asparagus omelette, and I imagine that the uh, Dalai Lama would think about having an asparagus omelette as well. I imagine he's probably maybe vegetarian, possibly even vegan, definitely vegetarian. But those little phallic wonder spears, I tell you, it leads you into a false sense of security. And as I said on the podcast the other day, the only problem with asparagus is when it uh, excretes, when it uh, leaves your body. That's, uh, That's possibly the issue with asparagus here. On a former episode, I know we're a classy show, aren't we? We're talking about asparagus piss. Very, very, very naughty from a couple of weeks. So look, look that up indeed. It is wonderful to be here. And I just want to know about etiquette. Uh, UK, US, across the world. So I had the situation where walking the dogs as always. It's my sort of uh, morning constitution, basically. And uh, one of the dogs did their business had it in a bag, did tie it up, and right next to me, there was a a rubbish lorry, a refuge collector, a trash collector. Now, in that situation, is it proper etiquette to cut out the middleman, i.e. the rubbish bin or the trash can, and just give it to the guy? Is that allowed? I mean, I, I honestly thought about it. I mean, he had gloves on, the window was down, he was smoking, I mean, that would probably take away this the stench of uh, Maggie's doo-doo um, but it, it, it's an option I'm wondering if that's proper etiquette just cut out the middle person or the middle trash can and give it to the fella and he can just take it away there I don't know if you'd have to give him a tip in America or anything like that I wonder if they take Apple Pay for those situations hey uh, hey what's your Venmo here's some dog here's some dog feces for you and I'll Venmo some money to you. And is that is that okay? Is that allowed? I was told off the other day for stealing an empty cart in the middle of Costco. Well, I wasn't, you know, told off by the staff, but my uh, my lovely girlfriend told me off. Said you can't do that. Well, why not? There's nobody around. There's nothing in the cart. What's the etiquette? Why can't I take the cart? I've got you know two big old boxes of dog food cans. I'm basically doing my Jeff Capes impression or my um, Stretch Armstrong impression because that's how much, how much my arms stretched when it came to uh, lifting it. 
But is that proper cart etiquette? Are you allowed to do that? Can you take a cart, a phantom cart, a ghostly cart, from the middle of Costco when nobody else is around? And I was taught perfect etiquette at school. I know how to lay a table. I know which side to put your fish knife. But I don't know about shopping carts. Can you take a phantom cart? Can you give a trash guy, refuge collector, a or a dog shit bag and let them take it away if they're right next to you? Is that allowed? Is that in the code of conduct when it comes to refuse collecting? Big question for you today. And if you have any meetings today, my lovely just say, meeting, meeting, meetings, meetings, meeting, meeting, meetings, meetings. That's your meetings jingle. Don't you just love that? I want that. I'm going to record that as a jingle. I'm going to get her to record it as a jingle. And it's going to be meeting, meeting, meetings, meetings. I think that's to the OJ's love of money. Well, you know, because we have a whole library-tastic of uh, Butler Emporium music to play between. If you like your music, if you like your tunes, hey, music man, put on another tune for daddy. Yeah, so if you like tunes, then you can listen to the Music Emporium. I'm gonna think I'm gonna throw some summer tunes in between the nonsense today. And I think we're gonna, why don't we kick off with the OJ's Love of Money? Isn't that a great song? Although it reminds me of Trump being on Apprentice. That's the only downside of that song. That's how that song probably is known to the millennials around here. Okay, contents of the show today. This is what we may or may not be talking about. Don't hold me to it. I told you before, don't throw, don't throw bloody spears at me. Don't throw a bloody script and running order at me. You know, it's not allowed on this show. We're free and easy on here. We like to go. We're like slightly maverick. We go with a flow. We beat by our own drama. Anyway, these are some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today or possibly over the weekend. Could you inflate pajamas? That's the first one. We're going to be talking about a art of the appendage. Appendage art. We'll be talking about that. Uh, we've also got uh, a new Charlie Wynn story. The florist, Charlie Wynn. Uh, also, uh, my grandfather joining the Mile High Club. I just spoke to my grandmother and she went over some of, my, some of her classic stories over the weekend. You just love that. Also, gout is returning amongst my family here. Um, should my father become a beekeeper? Musk uh, is allegedly uh, offered a horse for sex. I think that needs a little bit more explanation, doesn't it, really? Because uh, it, it sounds very awful. I mean, it. Uh, you wonder where Shergar is. Shergar. Um, also, my grandfather didn't like pumpkin pie, nor do I. Is there any British person or anybody around the world other than Americans that actually like pumpkin pie? Uh, also, I've got no wheels on my wagon. Uh, the Cherokees are out to get me, and uh, basically the bed's on the floor now. No legs are on the bed. We'll be talking about that as well. Also, more of the robots taking over. Tim Apple has done a, a really marvelous thing that when somebody sends you a text message with a phone number, that, me that number is now associated with the person who the text message comes from. Anyway, I'll explain in a little bit more detail. It's a little bit confusing. Clearly, the robots are taking, uh, taking over and taking course in our lives. Um, also, Charlie Horses, 
I, I tell you, I've got a lot of like uh, a lot of chronicles of uh, of the night over the last few days here. Charlie horses, though, that when you feel like your hamstring is being squeezed, it's like when you're wringing out a cloth. You're wiping around, and you wring out a cloth with all the water and getting all the debris out. That's what a Charlie horse feels like. It feels like your hamstrung hamstring and your hamstrung is being twisted and turned like an old wet rag it's not a very good feeling is my sweat sticky the origins of butterfingers old farts pub quizzes as i said we need more bunting beef cobblers where is it where have they gone in that whole pantheon of the universe where has the beef cobbler gone am i losing my britishness and also kitty scissors Kitty butlers, kitten nannies, kitten nannies. We were talking about it. How many cats is acceptable? And I'm only just discriminating because I'm a dog owner. It's possibly the reason why. And it's also today, ladies and gentlemen, National Chish and Fips Day. National Chish and Fips Day. I do feel like a huge bit of battered cod. Wish I was over at Eric's Fish Bar. That sounds absolutely lovely. Big old thing of chips and some fish. Now that is my idea of fast food. Forget the burger, fish and chips is where it's at. Coming up first on the Oki today, we have the butler at night, the nighttime chronicles. Tales from a sleep depraved butler. Uh, basically, I woke up at two o'clock this morning and I decided that I would do a little section of the podcast. Couldn't go to sleep. And I thought, well, if I, if I did a little, you know, five, 10 minutes of the podcast, May well make me so tired because I'm using all my creative juices up in the middle of when I should be in deep slumber. I'm probably going to back to sleep again. They always say you should do something when you uh, wake up in the middle of the night. So I decided to record a few funny voices. A shark saying chish and fips. And uh, was it a cow? I can't remember. Or was it a dog or a bear? It might have been a bear. I, I, I was delirious at two o'clock this morning. So forgive me. You can go on my Instagram and see my... Uh, creative delirium but anyway i woke up and i thought you know what i'm gonna do some butler chronicles how does the butler feel at around 2 a.m 2 30 in the morning and uh, here are the results this is keep calm and cauliflower cheese the nighttime edition for my very low and slow bed right on the floor almost on the floor it's almost a futon is it a futon what classifies as a futon, but my bed no longer has any legs. The legs have been pulled off. It was getting very, very wobbly, and then damn legs fell off. So here I am, incredibly low to the ground, and trying to raise myself from the abyss every morning. It can be a little bit of a problem. So I don't know if you can hear the, the covers moving around. It's 2.30 in the morning, and uh, this is being interspersed and interjected into the podcast uh, for Friday, May the 28th. And after snow last week, we're now on the cusp of summer. I have the fan gently oscillating, trying to send me off to sleep. I don't know if like Mercury is in retrograde or what's going on, but... Uh, can't sleep. I'm wondering if if I do a, a small chapter of the podcast this week, if that's going to help me 
drift off back into a deep slumber until seven o'clock. But then again, it may make me incredibly enthusiastic and maybe like a caffeine drive to me and I won't be able to go back to sleep and I'll probably get up and record the podcast proper. But who knows, we're trying it out. They always say that you should get up and do something, but I don't think the uh, the sleep doctors, the sleep experts suggested you should uh, do a piece of the podcast if you can't if you can't sleep. Maybe I need some dried seaweed. That's something else that I've read as well. Dry seaweed helps you helps you eat. I do have some sheets of dry seaweed that I use when I make ramon. I'm just wondering if I should eat those or maybe wet them and put them on my eyes or something along those lines if that would if that would help the uh, help the sleep patterns get back normal i know what it is i'm 45 years old and i have no trouble falling asleep it's just staying asleep for the duration and it's not the uh, not the age-old problem of having to go and uh, go into the little boy's room and leak the lizard or anything like that that's a problem but I just I just wake up in the middle of the night and then obviously I start looking at Instagram and Twitter and everything else. Then I can't go back to sleep after that. So that I think is uh, part of the issue. When I was plugging my phone in the other room, things were things were a little bit better. But then having work emails on my phone doesn't help as well. You know when somebody's emailing me and saying the brass wasn't polished quite to their standard uh, that, that you know that could be quite problematic that can keep a man uh, up at night and then you have a wandering border collie who is uh, sp- spraying all of their fluff and f- dander into the air and then sticks their head out of the blinds and sees somebody wandering around at night or, or a car coming in and they start barking that probably doesn't help one sleep either, or a rampant corgi crashing a bone next to its gate. That probably doesn't help uh, help one sleep either. But maybe Mercury's can retrograde. The I think the moon may be shining in, or is that somebody, some bastard deliberately uh, shining their lights uh, through the windows here at Trappy Towers. It's in, it's entirely possible. Well, I hope you're having a lovely day. I don't know if you have any sleep tips. I am considering getting some uh, rather uh, cold old tea bags that are sitting on my tea bag coaster in the other room and just putting them on the eyes and seeing if that'll make the eyes slightly less puffy. But I don't know about you. Not only am I getting hair absolutely everywhere in my 40s, but... I'm getting like considerable bags under the eyes. Now they may not be selling uh, all of those supermarket bags anymore, but I think they've been replaced as bags right under the eyes. And uh, I'm beginning to look a little bit like a badger. But anyway, for now, I'm going to uh, let you all toddle off. This is the Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese Nighttime Edition of the podcast. And I'm going to see if I can get back to sleep now. Nighty night. I did eventually go back to sleep, if, you're just, if anybody's wondering. 
Oh, did your dear host go back to sleep? No wonder he's sounding so tired on the podcast today. He had like four hours of sleep. Well, I didn't feel that good yesterday, so I went to bed a little bit early. And I think I slept sort of into the early evening. And that's why I can't go back to sleep. But that's the whole thing. I think once you get to a certain age, once you hit 45, then uh, then you, you can't be having a nap at, uh, at five o'clock. I have stopped drinking caffeinated tea, though. I know this is all absolutely fascinating uh, for you, the listener. I am going on a trip, and I'm wondering... Um, I haven't been on an aeroplane for about uh, three years, and I'm probably saying, um, is it airplane? Aeroplane. In the UK, we say aeroplane. Anyway... Is it still allowed just to wear a button-down shirt and um, no trousers and deep thrombosis socks pulled up to the knee? Because I like a little bit of a plus four going on, and of course I don't want a blood clot, so I like to have the socks pulled right up to the knee. But you know, I don't want any other restrictions, so I do not wear any trousers. I'm just wondering if that's allowed on a plane, if you can do that anymore. Also another thing, saw pajama man, in a sort of gale force winds earlier in the week. My good friend, the neighbor, pajama man, who has, I've never known anybody with so many different sets of pajamas. And the other day, I mean, he, he always wears them sort of a little bit half cocked. Uh, so they're like halfway up his leg. He, they're not long enough for him. They've probably got the same problem that I do. They pulled up over the belly and uh, that's how he likes to wear them. But they're almost inflated. And I was just thinking, how lovely would it be to inflate pajamas? Because you could have your own sort of, you could be laying on your own sort of airbed in your PJs. It could be, I think you, I would sleep so much better. I think I'd sleep so much better if, uh, if I had a couple of airbags. If I had my, I'm not talking about my balls being inflated. I'm talking about the pajamas being inflated. Um, I think I would sleep very, very well. I think on a, on a cushion of oxygen, I would, uh, I would sleep a little bit better. So... I mean, I think it's up to you out there, you, the creative listeners, to patent uh, inflatable pajamas because it, 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 could, it could be a wonderful thing. I think it would help a lot of sleep-deprived middle-aged men and women um, having, having the pajamas. And also it stops chafing. If you haven't got any material to rub around the crown jewels, if it's all inflated and out of the way, it sounds pretty perfect to me, I think. Archaeologists believe a Roman soldier graffitied a penis near Hadrian's Wall 1,700 years ago. Archaeologists have uncovered a 1,700-year-old stone carving of what appears to be a very phallic object. Immature kids might tag these on trains, political posters, and on bus stops these days, and it appears Romans did the same about 100 years ago. There is so much penis art around at the moment, isn't there? Everybody seems to be like spray-paying penis art i put a picture on instagram of somebody basically sprayed uh, a penis it was a blue penis so that you know it was cold the other day so it could be the problem with blue balls as i put on the instagram thing but the silly carving and its associated text of delighted archaeologists at the roman site of Idlondia near hadrian's wall in the uk experts revealed that the text next to the doodle uh, actually forms an insult seemingly used to roast another roman soldier Writings on the stone uh, read uh, Scavindus Cacor, which translates in English as Secundus the Shitter. Paul Secundus uh, imagined if he pooped his uh, dax only for people to know about it 17 years ago. So he basically um, had diarrhea in his trousers. 
As the author would painstakingly carved each letter, experts said there was little doubt about the feelings of dislike b- 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 towards poor old Secundidus. A- according to the BBC, the stone was found by Dylan Herbert, a retired biologist from South Wales. It is 40 centimetres wide and 15 centimetres tall, meaning you're looking at a very small carving of a very small penis. Hopefully it wasn't to scale. Herbert said uh, he made the discovery on May the 19th when he was wrapping up maybe hopefully double wrapped uh, his uh, second week of volunteering on excavations I'd been removing a lot of rubble all week and to be honest this stone had been getting in my way I was glad when I was told I could take it out of the trench it looked like from the back uh, of as a very ordinary stone but when I turned it over I was startled to see some clear letters only after we removed the mud did I realize the full extent of what I've uncovered and I was absolutely delighted Director of Excavations at the uh, Vinlondola Trust, Dr. Andrew Burley, said the discovery really raised their eyebrows. Sounds like Secondalis was fairly raised as well, but not in a very large fashion. His author clearly had a big problem, or a small problem, with Secondalis, and was confident enough to announce his thoughts publicly on a stone. I have no doubt that Secondalis would have uh, been less than amused to see this when he was wandering around the site 1,700 years ago. It's very likely that it would have been carved by another Roman soldier because there was Latin uh, all over it, uh, and it was from somebody who was literate. A total of 13 penis carvings have now been found at the site near Hexham. So it seems like it was a common Romanesque insult. The one thing is, as I said, there's a lot of this graffiti going around. That I, I'm, there's many back in the 80s, people used to like spray paint penises everywhere. Uh, but it seems to me that uh, here in 2022, penis art is again on the rise. As I said, penis art is on the rise. So I talked to my uh, lovely grandmother again, and she recounted another tale about the secret drink of the florist Wynn. Now, apparently he was discovered, I miss must have been in the 1970s or something, uh, late, late at the night, it might have been early hours of the morning, face down in some gravel, outside the house of a party and apparently he said i'm just planting some begonias i'm planting some begonias just leave me alone i'm just planting some begonias and they flower at night i mean it was some like absurd sort of thing so the secret drinker likes to plant begonias at night whilst he's uh, head down in a ton of gravel and apparently there's gout going around uh, my my family at the moment and, and let me just say this everybody think well chappy family is no they don't have a problem with it. they don't even drink they don't even drink i mean my my father might have a sparkling grape juice on occasion but that's about it i mean and uh, his gout's abating but then his poor mother my grandmother has, has got gout again so it's going back and forth. Is this in t- in entirely possible? Does gout, uh, is there more proclivity uh, amongst the ge- genetics of a family to be predisposed to gout? Because, I mean, I don't eat a lot of meat. I don't drink very much, although I do like occasional uh, frozen margarita of the strawberry variety with an umbrella. Let me add, I do like the parasol uh, with my margarita. Um, but I'm wondering if I'm more predisposed to get gout than anybody else because it uh, it runs in the family. But apparently it's running rampant. Talking to one of my uh, butler co-workers the other day and he had terrible gout. I mean, imagine if you're on your feet all day as a butler 
having gout could be a bit of an issue. If I ever had gout during my sort of butler duties, I would strongly consider just traveling around on a dumb waiter. If you have the time traveler's wife, why can't you have butlers traveling around on hypersonic dumb waiters? And Omar Sultan al Amar, the United Arab Emirates Minister of Artificial Intelligence, yesterday told an audience at the World Economic Forum in Davos that it is his belief that people who commit serious crimes in the metaverse should be punished with real-world criminal consequences. So if you steal in the metaverse, if I take the uh, if I take a, a dollop of cream off the top of the pudding in the metaverse, is my hand going to be cut off in the real in the real universe? It seems like a little bit extreme, uh, to say the least here. You can't murder an avatar, at least not in the legitimate sense. It's a stupid idea that doesn't deserve much attention. But let's lay it out there real quick so we can move on. Ten years from now, if you're wandering around the metaverse uh, version of the metaverse, you're probably wearing a VR helmet and maybe the tech advanced to the point where the visual and audio fidelity are nearly indistinguishable from reality. All of a sudden, somebody pushes the buttons on the control pad to cause the avatar to leap out of a digital bush. Then they push the buttons on the control pad that cause you to stab the other avatar. Your avatar bleeds out and dies. You have no witnesses, the knife going in. Oh, the horror. It's almost like a, a sort of metaverse Caesar and Brutus, isn't it? But wait, let's rewind for a second. How did the knife get there? Who, pro who programmed leaping out of the bush animation? Uh, and uh, are there more kill movies? What's the combo for the silent takedown? I'm getting ahead of myself. I forgot we're not talking about a video game. We're talking about murder most foul in the metaverse. But what the uh, UEA Minister of uh, AI knows about the field that the rest of us doesn't, but in particular the version of reality, there's no basis for this fantasy. You may as well pass a law against murdering people in video games. And it is that no matter how traumatizing it might be to see yourself murdered in the first person, it's not like Zuckerberg's planning on making it a feature. Maybe Al Alama's thinking is the metaverse is going to be uh, a splintered internet experience like web where dark corners of the platform could host to anything. But at least for now, companies such as Meta, Nvidia, Microsoft, Google and Epic are investing billions of dollars in creating bespoke experiences, probably aren't going to be uh, putting together a team of designers focused on adding PTSD, inducing gore to their production methods. A hacker could induce some violence, but seriously, the idea that somehow you'll be casually shopping in the Nike section of the Meta billions of dollars and counting Metaverse and suddenly a digital Jack the Ripper is going to appear in front of you in a rabid frenzy is just pain silly. Everything about the idea of criminalizing digitalized violence in virtual reality is dumb. The kind of blathering rhetoric that determines how far detached from reality some technologists can be. Nobody's worried about logging onto a VR version of Facebook and being murdered in the headset. I mean, can't we just have a, you know, a really nice sort of gentle virtual reality experience? Like a nice gentle bike ride on a wobbly old bike where the uh, chain keeps falling off. You've got a basket in the front, a little bell there, and a delicious picnic. And you've got your VR glasses on, and you have a virtual reality picnic by the river. Now that's my sort of virtual reality experience here. Maybe a virtual reality warm beer, and some virtual reality cricket going on. Virtual reality rubbing of the red leather ball onto the white trousers. All of that sounds a rather delightful, calming experience. My grandmother also recounted the tale, and I probably told this on the podcast before, 
when uh, in the early 70s, uh, her, my grandfather, my uncle, the dearest uh, Uncle Michael, who is still recovering from a stroke. I mean, he, I'm sure, wants to get back to France, where he's basically served hot and cold running Cassolets and Vino all the time. I hope he's on the mend, dear boy, and he'll be back in the beautiful French countryside very, very soon. Anyway, they were traveling to Canada, and my grandfather, Frank, was very, very nervous as flying. So, you know, he, he decided to imbibe a little bit uh, before and during the flight uh, just to calm down his nerves. And I think he got a little bit worse for wear with, uh, with, the, with the beer, a little bit of light scotch as well. And um, he was, like, wandering around, and my grandfather... Um, a little bit out of control, I suppose, just like stumbling around. And my grandmother uh, grabbed his tie at the base, put, put his hand up his jumper, sweater, <laughs> I have to do all the translation here, and grabbed his tie and pulled him into the bathroom. Now, I don't know what happened there. I mean, is this, a, is this an early situation on Pan Am, <laughs> an early membership of the Mile High Club? I don't know. But I think she was a little bit upset with him and probably had to gently splash some water on his eyelids to uh, maybe make him feel a little bit better. A little bit more compass mentis, I suppose. Allegedly, the bathrooms in Pan Am flights were a little bit more roomy back in the 1970s. So in the little secret area garden of my uh, parents' house, my father discovered a beehive containing about 20,000 bees. I mean, he had the uh, bee control expert come over or sort of local beekeeper, whatever it is, to come and study this hive. And there's about 20,000 bees. And for a hot second, my father decided uh, that he might become a beekeeper. And I, th I thought it'd be perfect for my mum and dad to have a hobby together and they could wear his and her beekeeper outfits. They could uh, basically take those bellows and pump the spray in together whilst holding the bellows. I mean, it would be a very sort of romantic experience. And then imagine all the honey and the beeswax they could farm together. I think it would be, you know, for a, for a slightly older couple that are over 21, a perfect hobby for them uh, that they can do together and, uh, and then sell the honey for a huge profit. I mean, it, it sounds rather perfect, doesn't it? Uh, but there are many sort of elements into beekeeping. It sounds rather fascinating here. I do like the outfits. They're very, very fashionable. I mean, you could dress like the man from Del Monte, uh, all white linens, and then have that, uh, that helmet on with the visor, with the mesh on there as well. It's very sort of, um, you know, part Hawaii 5.0, uh, part sort of uh, Rio de Janeiro in the 1970s, and a little bit space age as well. But how do you become a beekeeper? So join a beekeeping association. Associations for uh, aspiring beekeepers should be well known in your local area. You could do a quick internet search. There's plenty of large and small scale beekeepers are always interested in sharing tips and insights. The majority of associations will host events and expert speakers and provide reading materials. But you have to plan for the spring. Check with the local beekeepers to learn when to set up the hives and order the bee packages. In most areas, the ideal time is the spring after the cold weather has passed. Start small. Plan to invest in two hives. It's far better than one since it's easier to maintain your population 
over the winter. Be sure uh, what you're going to be doing, not to dive in headfirst by owning four or five beehives, especially if you're beginning to start small and then you can definitely scale up. Find and purchase equipment. Uh, you need the right beekeeping products. Uh, there's also different size honey boxes, protective equipment and smokers. When you're sourcing equipment, make sure they're affordable and indeed long lasting. Since you won't be replacing your honey boxes every year, they need to be built to withstand plenty of use. For example, most keepers use long strop equipment for quality assurance. Top bar hives are another popular option aside from the medium sized honey boxes. Essential equipment for become a beekeeper. Hives, you need one for your home. Laxdroff hives being the most popular. Frames, frames are essential for allowing your bees to produce honey, lay brood and prepare for the upcoming winter. You slide the frames into the filing system in your hive. They're essential for your hive's success. Smokers, yes, you're not like the one you're smoking a brisket with. If you're most concerned about getting down a smoke, it's a fantastic piece of equipment to have. When you pump the smoke into the hive, you help the bees become docile. Therefore, they're less affected by your presence. The hive tool, one of the most used pieces of equipment in your kit will be the hive tool. It's made easier to deal with with the propellus, the material used to keep the hives together. Feeders. You have to supplement your bees' nutrition through the year. This is where feeders come into play. They allow you to feed your bees safely. The queen marker. Your queen bee is an essential part of the colony in the beginner. She needs to be marked. Otherwise, you have trouble and spend too much time searching for. It's a little bit like, where's Waldo? Where's Wally? Trying to find the queen. I mean, around here, it's pretty easy to find where the queen is, to be honest. Uh, also, bees and queens, consider you're not going to catch a swarm. You need to purchase a colony of bees, which include the queen, drones, and worker bees. I think you also need like a substitute queen as well. You need a couple of queens to keep the drones at bay. Keep the, the drones in order. Also protective equipment. One of the most important parts of purchasing equipment is to make sure you have the PPE. Honeybees can be docile, but they also have stingers like other sting insects. So think about your allergies and also wear the correct equipment. This, it seems like fashion isn't essential when it comes to this. You just need the protective equipment. But you want to look good whilst you're beekeeping. We have some uh, up current American news here. In Lincoln, Nebraska, a couple hundred people grabbed their pool noodles and headed to a Nebraska park again. This was last weekend over the right to be named Josh. The event started as an online joke when Josh Swain of Tucson, Arizona, sent out a tweet challenge. Anybody who shared his name he needs to fight over the name Josh. After it took a life of its own, Swain turned it into a real event every year. It's almost like a renaissance fair, but with jousting and probably maiming. At the uh, random coordinates, he included the original note which happened to be in Lincoln, Nebraska. The enthusiasm from everybody has been incredible. Several of the competitors this year donned costumes, including masks, animal suits, football helmets, before heading to the Bowling Lake Park. But it wasn't enough to dethrone five-year-old Joff Vincent, who defended his title as the number one Josh. Saturday's event raised nearly 21000 for the Children's Hospital Medical Center in Omaha. Swain said he'd like to make the Josh fight an annual event but he's not sure if he'll be able to keep it up. There's a number of factors in this crazy world. I hope that uh, to keep this going, keep the trends so we can have a good Josh jousting session every year.
Uh, this year's annual Go Topless Jeep weekend in Texas resulted in more than 100 arrests and dozens of people, including a sheriff's deputy, sent to the hospital during the event attended by tens of thousands. More than 80,000 revelers attended the weekend-long event for Jeep enthusiasts in Galveston County, Texas. Me, my question, if you've got topless uh, jeeping going, you've got topless people in jeeps, and then you, uh, why not topless tailgating as well? I'm a little bit worried though when you're when you're cooking the snags, you're cooking the you're cooking the hot dogs there, hot fat spitting, and also smouldering coals probably don't, uh, yeah, probably aren't very good if you're topless and your boobs hang low, wave to and fro. And chocolate is a modern pick-me-up used to heal anything from a broken heart to a hangover, but the royal doctor recognized its medicinal powers more than 360 years ago, according to a rare book being sold at auction. The first English-language cookery book on chocolate advised 17th-century readers that at the time, the exotic substance could treat melancholy, constipation, and venereal diseases. Published in 1662, the rare text describes the delicacy referred as the Indian nectar as a superfood that could be used to help the range of ailments. It listed several recipes that surprising medicinal benefits on the writings of Spanish travelers who returned from South America. According to one practitioner, chocolate helped to keep his body soluble and never failed to give him a stool. The Indian nectaral discourse concerning chocolatier was written by Henry Stube uh, during his time as Child the First Personal Doctrine 1662. It's just one of a handful of copies that still exist, set to be sold tomorrow by Barnes, Hampton and Littlewood in Exeter. Specialists say the text was centuries ahead of its time and expect to sell for £5,000. The book was kept in the Signet Library from Edinburgh for decades before being sold to private hands in, 18, uh, in the 1980s. Chocolate is produced from cocoa seeds native to Central and South America. There is evidence that it was consumed in the Amazon as early as 5,000 years ago. The delicacy was introduced to Europe by Spanish colonists in the 1500s. But only the most privileged in British society were able to sample it with a pound of cocoa costing the equivalent in modern terms of £34. However, the chocolate in the 17th century was far cry from the sugary, creamy confectionery of today. Instead, it was prepared as a bitter drink, flavoured with sugar and spices and all things nice, uh, made from ground up cocoa seeds. This book is a really incredible technical and detailed given how early on it is. It's absolutely unique. I'm amazed this book of this age is dedicated to such an obscure subject, says Roger Collicker to the auctioneers. It's about 200 years before its time. Most cookery books started in France. Finding one uh, in English from this period is very, very rare. The book has a strong medicinal element. There's an awful lot about chocolate as a medicine rather than pleasure. There's a long chapter on the benefits of chocolate, uh, though it does appear to, uh, doesn't really bring any negative uh, issues up. Apparently, it was good for piles, venereal diseases, and melancholy. Hopefully, not all at the same time. That sounds rather uncomfortable. Most of the recipes in the book uh, are to be drunk. This is long before Cabri's arrived at the scene. At the time he wrote the book, Henry Stube was a, a physician to the king, and he dedicated the book to him. It sounds like not only is he a physician, but he's probably a chocolatier magician thank you so much for listening to the podcast today it's been a pleasure joining this nonsensical vehicle for another week if you like to listen to the podcast like and subscribe where you can keep calm and cauliflower cheese you can you can find me on all platforms basically apple music apple Podcasts, spotify as an audio version slacker breaker iHeartRadio, pandora 
You can listen to Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, everywhere. As you pull out your tray to collect the honey if you're a beekeeper and you stir that honeycomb, you can hear the honeyed, delicious butler voice of Chappie, the dulcet tones emanating from the honeycomb. Absolutely marvellous, darlings. But uh, if you like to listen and have some music interspersed with the ramble, then you can uh, listen to Spotify, the Butler Point Musical Edition. There is music in there where you can hear the OJs. You can have a little bit of Harry Styles music from a sushi restaurant. Uh, you can have a little bit of Prince Space, Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Beastie Boys, Ben Folds 5, and some Yacht Rock to sail into the sunset with. But coming up next, we have a poem in memory celebration of the jubilee a jubilee a jubilee wait the glad shout across the laughing sea a jubilee a jubilee oh bells ring out your gladness on your merry peals O thou the root and flower of this joy well may the praise of our grateful hearts employ fair as the moon and glorious as the sun they fame to many future age shall run victoria queen goodness have been the fame and greatness shall be for the twain a one as the clear eye discerned her rule begun O queen receive anew our homage free our love and praise on this thy jubilee just to let you know the running order of the podcast over the next couple of weeks here we will have another podcast before the end of the weekend next weekend I probably will squeeze in one edition of the podcast and then one edition probably the weekend after. If you're lucky, you may get a double bonus. You may get a double whammy of two podcasts, but we'll have to see. It's going to be a busy couple of weeks for your dear butler. I have to go and press and starch uh, my trousers now and bleach my white gloves so they're pristine for polishing up this audio version of the podcast a little bit later. Until next time, later in the weekend, cheerio.